Well, friends, it's good to be together in God's presence. Thank you so much for making this appointment with God in worship today. I also want to greet those of us who are online right now or will experience this message on our podcast or our website later this week. I wonder, have you ever heard the phrase, throw someone under the bus? It's used on a lot of reality shows, I think, uh, when they got a team up at Top Chef or whatever. But even if you haven't heard the phrase, you know it ain't good, right? They can't, they can't be good. It's interesting to trace the roots of these things, and no one's really sure where it got started, but etymologists think the colloquial phrase, throw someone under the bus, had its roots in British politics in the 1970s and 80s. It was first written down in 1982. To throw someone under the bus means to betray or sacrifice a person, particularly for the sake of one's own advancement. In the video game Halo, if you run over a teammate with a vehicle, the voiceover announcer will say, betrayal. If you know, you know, okay? I'm, I'm a 39-year-old dude, what can I say? Sometimes you're the driver of the bus, and sometimes you're the unconscious body beneath the bus, right? And so what do we do after betrayal? What happens after trust has been broken? That's what we're going to look at today. I want to approach this a little bit differently. Typically, I would try and name like a spectrum of betrayal from relatively benign to more severe. But I think this subject is so personal and so universal, I'm not even going to try to sit here with some hypotheticals that you may have experienced because I'll bet you can name some of these in your mind right now. Whether it's times that you were betrayed, that you were thrown under the bus, or when you played the role of the thrower of someone under the bus. So let's just get straight into it. And what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that forgiveness is free, trust is earned. In this series called Trust, we've leaned on a great resource. It's a book by Dr. Henry Cloud of the same name. And it's a fantastic book. We've, we've looked at through the last three weeks what it means to trust God, how can we be trustworthy people? Last week, we looked at what it takes to trust someone else. And again, this week, we're going to be looking at what do we do after trust has been broken? How do we repair it? We're going to be reading from the book of Acts. Acts is a history book. It's the story of what happened next after Jesus ascended to heaven. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 9 in the story of Saul, also called Paul, his conversion and that after he had been commanded by Jesus to go and be uh, his missionary to those outside of Israel, the Gentiles, how the disciples didn't receive him because of his reputation, because of who he had been. And that they didn't trust Paul, didn't want to have anything to do with him because of who he was. The early Christians were skeptical to this new convert and for good reason. But we were also introduced to an early leader, uh, leader in the early church named Barnabas. And Barnabas vouches for Paul. He sticks his neck out for him. And in that way, it kind of makes it okay for Paul to join the circle. Paul and Barnabas now, chapters later, have had a, a series of travels. Scholars call this the first missionary journey. They've gone around in the ancient Near East starting churches. And it becomes a very different dynamic because they're about to depart and they disagree over who should come. And so in Acts 9, Barnabas is advocating for Paul. 
And now in Acts chapter 15, they're going to be at odds. This is verse 36 of chapter 15 in Acts. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So this was the pattern in the New Testament. Leaders would go out and help establish churches, and then they would correspond through these letters. Many of these letters make up a huge part of our New Testament, the second half of the Bible. Then, years later sometimes, these leaders, after corresponding with letters, would actually show up, and they would celebrate, they would instruct, and, and they would catch up with these churches, these communities of faith that they had helped found. I think this is so hard for us to fathom in the 21st century. Like, I'm not even really sure how I grew up without cell phones, right? I mean, after school sometimes, I would just wait outside of my high school in ninth grade for my mom to just drive up. I would just stand there and somehow she knew to come. Like, I didn't, I didn't know her ETA. I could not look up her location on Life360. It just happened. Incredible. How much more can we not even get in the mindset of the first century where sometimes it would be years before people would see each other again through sharing Christ's work. But that's what they did. Now that takes some trust in God and in your fellow Christians, your fellow missionaries. So who's going to come on board and go check on the folks? Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So we've got a, a lot of names going on. We've got Paul, who's also called Saul. Uh, we have Barnabas, and that's a nickname. His real name is Joseph, but the apostles called Barnabas, called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And we also have John, who's also called Mark. Got enough names there for you? Sometimes people will combine them, as in John Mark. So Bar John, Barnabas wants to bring John Mark, but Paul apparently doesn't trust him. The operative word is deserted because John Mark didn't finish the journey with them earlier. What we read in chapter 15 is confirmed two chapters earlier. Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So we know where John Mark departed. We know that he didn't make it to Pamphylia, which is in modern Turkey. What we don't know is why he left. Whatever it was, John, Mark, and Barnabas see it as legitimate, or at least something forgivable, but Paul sees it as a betrayal. And in verses 39 through 41, we read that Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cecilia, excuse me, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. What? Barnabas, who, whose nicknames like Captain Encouragement, and Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, can't even get it together. They're not even on speaking terms. Six chapters earlier, Barnabas is sticking his neck out for Paul, and now they don't want to have anything to do with each other. Does that sound very apostolic to you? Yeah, this is one of the reasons I love the Bible and believe it's trustworthy. It's because it deals with reality. That sometimes even very faithful Christians have very deep disagreements. Now we need to be careful about psychologizing people in the Bible. Like we can know what they're thinking. 
But as it appears, Paul didn't trust John Mark not to bail on them again. And Barnabas once again has an unpopular opinion as he's vouching for someone else. Each of them so convicted about this that they go their separate ways. Again, the Bible speaks to this, that we serve a perfect God, but even the early church was far from perfect. The Bible speaks to reality, that sometimes we have a rift in our relationships. So when, you, when have you had a sharp disagreement with someone? When, have, when has this disagreement been so deep that you no longer associate with them? When have we done something that made someone feel deserted, thrown under the bus? Or when has someone done that to us? How do we repair trust when it's been broken? I think Dr. Cloud puts this so well in his book when he describes the dilemma of repairing trust. He said, trusting again once trust has been broken is more than a decision. It's a dilemma, a choice between equally unfavorable options. If you part company with someone, then you risk closing off a relationship of great worth or, or maybe your tenure at a company that you've loved and invested in, or whatever the situation may be. The thought of losing that valuable thing is really hard. But if you trust, you leave yourself vulnerable to living it all over again. That's the dilemma. Losing something you love or setting yourself up to be hurt again. There's much to be said on this subject of repairing trust and Dr. Cloud's book does an excellent job. Actions can have consequences of deep, deep pain. And so in our time together, I wanna to focus on two things. Forgiveness is free, trust is earned. And I wanna examine the tension between forgiveness and trust. And from more than just the perspective of the one who's been hurt, from being uh, in the position of having been thrown under the bus. Throughout this series, I've gotten lots of good feedback, which is helpful and helps me understand kind of how to chart sermons uh, in the future. But an interesting dynamic has happened because folks have said, man, I really love this series. I wish so-and-so could have heard that sermon. Uh, these ain't for so-and-so, these are for you and me, right? So I'm not gonna let us off so easy and only talk about how to repair trust as, as having been thrown under the bus I also want to look at what it takes to repair trust when we are the ones doing the throwing. We need to realize that we not only have played the part of being thrown under the bus, but we've also been the thrower. So we're going to examine forgiveness and trust kind of on a broad level, and then what those look like in terms of repairing trust as both the thrower and the one who's been thrown. So for trust to be repaired, there first has to be forgiveness. You cannot move forward and trust someone that you haven't forgiven. We can't build trust with someone who has not forgiven us. Dr. Cloud puts this so simply and so powerfully in his book. Forgiveness has to do with the past. Trust has to do with the future. I try to preach on forgiveness with some regularity because I know it's something that's relevant to all of us and it's something Jesus commands. But I never thought of it like this. Forgiveness is dealing with what has been Trust looks forward to the future. You cannot move forward into the future and build trust until you have dealt with the reality of betrayal in the past. 
My definition of forgiveness, it doesn't mean pretending nothing ever happened or that we just sweep it under the rug. Forgiveness means releasing your right to retribution. When someone has betrayed you, thrown you under the bus, forgiveness means letting go of wanting to see them hurt as much as they've hurt you. That's what it means to forgive. Forgiveness is the cancellation of a debt, a debt of suffering that they owe you. Forgiveness is giving that up. Here's the thing. Forgiveness is not about the other person at all. It's about you. They don't have to admit anything or show any contrition about their betrayal. It's about you releasing your right of retributions independent of the other person's actions. And in this way, forgiveness is free. Think of it like emotional debt relief. Jesus spoke about forgiveness often, including when he taught us to pray, as we did earlier, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Put another way, Jesus instructed his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. The only thing it costs us to forgive is our right to revenge. And in some ways that's very costly, but it's free. It's 100% free and it's 100% our ability to decide. In moving from being forgiven by Jesus to forgiving others is a journey that every disciple of Jesus has to make. Trust, however, is earned. While forgiveness is a process to heal from the past, trust is future-facing and can only play out over time. Trust is earned incrementally. And that starts with reconciliation. Now, we just said earlier that forgiveness only takes one person. Reconciliation does take two. If the person that did the throwing under the bus doesn't regret it and would do it again, you can't reconcile with someone who doesn't think they did anything wrong. Not possible. If we are the ones in the situation who did the throwing, if we don't take time to understand the hurt that was caused, then we won't be able to reconcile. And it's only over time that reconciliation takes shape, over time that relationships are built. Proverbs 18.24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So trust is built in demonstrating reliability over time, especially in difficult times. So let's look at what it takes to repair trust as both the thrower under the bus and the one who's been thrown. So let's start with forgiveness from the perspective of someone who's been thrown under the bus. This is our top left quadrant here. We're dealing with something that has happened to you in the past. That's the timeline. Maybe recently, maybe a long time ago. You've probably experienced a lot of emotions around this, and the one I want to hone in on is betrayal. A key question is, as you think about your relationship with this other person, what do I wish for them? Do I wish for revenge against them? Or do I wish them well? That's the mark of forgiveness. Until you've forgiven them for what's happened in the past, you can't move positively towards the future. Now, let's consider forgiveness from the perspective of the thrower of someone under the bus, from that bottom left quadrant. Again, we're dealing with our past behavior, and we hopefully are experiencing some guilt. I think guilt can be a good thing when it helps us understand the costly consequences of our actions. 
Now, guilt is about the thing that we've done. Shame is a different emotion and a different thing. Shame is about our worth as a person and, and, and the type of person we are. That's another sermon for another time. But I think guilt can actually help us along this path. As someone who's seeking forgiveness, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that I've expressed to this person? Is it regret? I'm sorry that happened to you? <clears throat> nope. Anybody ever got one of those apologies? Or, or, or maybe, uh, I'm sorry you feel that way? <clears throat> nope. That ain't it. I'm even clenching my fist thinking about this. I'm stressed out. What about remorse? Eh, warming up. I feel bad that I did that to you. That's a step towards taking responsibility. That's a little better. But ultimately what we need to express to another person is repentance. I want to make a change to ensure this does not happen again. That is a full apology. That is when reconciliation can begin. And moving from being enemies to being friends is another journey that disciples of Jesus go on to be reconciled to our neighbor. Now, let's move from trusting as someone who's been thrown under the bus, this top right quadrant. Again, we're not dealing with the past, we're looking towards the future, building trust, moving forward. We're probably feeling a lot of things and among them fear. Again, the fear that you're vulnerable to this happening again, that we're setting ourselves up to be hurt all over again. In order to work toward a future with trust, we must have forgiven the other person and they must have demonstrated repentance. So if there's a mutual desire to reconcile, then we can ask ourselves, does this other, does this other person understand my perspective and my needs? What about the content of this other person's character? And what sort of track record are they, are they rebuilding? We talked about these necessary elements of trust two weeks ago. And I think Dr. Cloud frames those up very nicely. So those are some questions and those are some kind of benchmarks we can have along the way. Does this person under, uh, demonstrate their understanding of my perspective? What kind of character are they demonstrating? And what kind of track record are they building? Now finally, if we have been the thrower of someone under the bus, from a perspective of trust, this bottom right quadrant, we're also working toward the future of trust and moving forward from the past. Now, in terms of emotions, we may feel a little bit impatient with the other person's pace of repairing trust. Well, we don't get to feel that way. We should have thought of that before we did them dirty. We forsake the right to have this occur on our preferred timeline and instead have to allow the other person to dictate the pace. The phrase throw someone under the bus doesn't do justice to our capacity to harm other people, which not only offends and hurts them, but it strikes at the heart of God. When we feel impatient, we need to remember that trust is earned incrementally. And so a great question for us as we tried to rebuild trust is what can I do today to earn back this person's trust over time? Day by day, our understanding is evident 
and our character is revealed and our track record is repaired bit by bit, not through our intentions, but through our actions. That's the only way it happens, incrementally and through demonstrated actions. Now, friends, this isn't a magic cube to repair relationships, but I do think it's a roadmap for what to do after we've parted company. I don't think this happens overnight, but I think this is a process that we can undertake from either side as the thrower or the one who's been thrown. Paul and Barnabas disagreed so sharply about who to bring with them and what to do next about John Mark's betrayal. They parted company and we don't even know how it resolved. There's two kind of passing verses where Paul mentions both John Mark and Barnabas in a neutral to potentially positive light, but that's all we get. That's it. Again, I think the Bible speaks to reality and we don't know how their story concluded. But I think that makes sense for us, especially when we may not sit in here know how our particular scenario is going to play out. Still undecided, still inconclusive. You may not know the outcome of your scenario either. So friends, I hope we all remember that our actions can be very costly and that forgiveness is free, but trust is earned. I thank God for the gift of Jesus Christ who canceled our debt of sin that we could never repay and provides us with the courage and strength to forgive that we could never possess on our own. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today, the chance to be together in worship and to hear from your word. God, we thank you for the witness of the early apostles and find comfort that not even the early church was perfect. God, where there are sharp disagreements in our most treasured relationships, help us to be people who freely give as we have freely received. And God, as hard as that is, give us the faith to know and trust that you go before us and behind us. God, help us remember that your grace is big enough to take up from us whatever it is we brought in with us, whatever it is in our past, and that your grace is a light that guides our path into the future that is brighter when we walk in your way. God, for the rest of our time in worship, whatever it is we need to receive from you, I ask that you would provide it to help us call to our hearts and minds the places that you want us to forgive and start that journey or the difficult conversation we may have to begin in order to seek to repent and be reconciled to our neighbor. God, again, we thank you for the gift of Jesus who forgave us freely and then provides us the strength and the courage to do the same for our fellow children of God. God, this is not easy. Help us to walk as your disciples and be with us every step of the way. Would you provide for us that which we need in these next moments? It's in your precious son's name that we pray. Amen.